Howdy, friends, and welcome to the Old Hat Podcast. This is James Chambliss, your host, also known as Old Hat. This show is episode number 11. Did you think we'd make 11 of them? Double digits. I'm pretty happy about that. Number 10, number 11. Got a lot of great responses about number 10. Hope you like number 11 as well. Going to talk about horses today, but first, I have to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by coffee. Completely 100% powered by Java. That's me. Well, not Java. Okay, now I'm probably going to get in trouble. There's probably... I'm going to... I don't mean the software that always wants an update every 15 minutes. You know, every time you sit down at your computer, it says, would you like to install your Java update? And you say no. And you've never updated it ever, and it still works fine. Or does it? You don't know. What does it even do? (laughs) Well, around here, what it does is power your podcast host. I'm drinking a lot of coffee around here, and I have a hard time picking which mug to drink it out of. Anybody else have that problem? I have a lot of coffee mugs. I mean a lot of coffee mugs. I've got them in kitchen cabinets, multiple, more than one kitchen cabinets. I've got them on my office shelves. You know, the ones that I've used too much or I haven't used yet, they wait on my office shelves. There's always a couple on my desk. Used to be a bunch in my truck, uh, but I've gotten better at bringing them in the house. And it, well, I'll tell you why I do that now. It's not out of any great, um, you know, neat fetish that I've come up with. (laughs) I'm not a neat guy, typically. Certainly where my truck is involved. But I had a niece in uh, Iraq back in 2007. And uh, so I was watching a lot of TV, you know, just trying to stay up because you're not really prepared for your niece to go to a combat zone, but that's what happened. And so I was watching the news all the time. And anytime there was a car bomb, you know, there was just devastation everywhere. Well, one night there was a car bomb that had gone off, but there was no fire in the, in the newsreel. And so everything that had been in the car was all over the street. And, uh, And I realized that if my truck were to explode, there would be fast food napkins and coffee cups scattered for hundreds of yards in all directions. And so I started bringing my coffee cups in the house. It seemed like the more responsible thing to do. I do have my favorite coffee mugs. I don't just have one. I have several. I think one of my favorites is from a hotel down in San Antonio. We were down there and They got our reservation wrong, and we ended up, six of us, mom and dad and four rowdy children in one room with two double beds for the first night there. Okay, well, what are you going to do, right? We're supposed to have two rooms that connect, but we've got one room, and so that's what there is. That's what we did. We go upstairs, and we get settled, and uh, then the toilet doesn't work. One of the kids comes out and says, the toilet won't flush. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I call down and the poor girl at the desk is just almost in tears. And she's like, sir, I'm the only one here. I can't help you right now. I can't leave the desk and I wouldn't know what to do anyway. And I said, well, can you loan me a plunger? And she said, you're kidding. I went, no, have you, you, you know where they are? And she said, if you'll meet me down here, I will, I will get you a plunger. <laughs> and so... I go downstairs and she walks me around to the maintenance closet and I dig around until I find a plunger and I go back and I fix it and then I bring the plunger back because probably I'm not going to be the only one in the hotel with this problem since it's so full. And she was so pleased. She was so pathetically grateful that I had taken care of that problem and not been mad about it. Hey, it was my kid, right? So the next morning, knock on the door and I go open it and it's this girl that's uh, back on shift and she's brought me a coffee cup full of candy as a thank you. So it's one of my favorite coffee cups. Just the story is not why the story is just uh, extra, right? (laughs) But it's uh, it's the perfect 
shape and it's the perfect size. Do you have one of those? Isn't it great to drink coffee out of the perfect size cup? Another one of my favorite cups is, uh, is the one where I found out I was going to be a grandpa. White cup, nice mug, and on one side it says, Great dads get promoted to grandpa. And that truly was the best promotion. You know, when I got that for Christmas, I was really happy for my son and his wife, right? Because you're going to have a baby. That's the coolest thing. I'm so happy for you. I had no idea being a grandpa was going to be this awesome. So I drink out of that cup on days when I know I'm going to see my grandkids because it uh, makes me happy. It's like pre-gaming the grandpa show. It's a lot of fun. I've also got a uh, coffee mug that a friend of mine brought me from Jerusalem. And it's it's precious. She's not with us anymore. And uh, so we all tend to worry about me breaking that mug. And, you know, my friend Christy was always after me to go to go to Jerusalem with me. Come on, go to Israel with me. Come on, you got to go. You got to go. And I always told her, well, I have plans to go to the new Jerusalem, but I'm going to let you handle going to the old one. <laughs> if you've read your book of Revelation, you know that in the end, uh, the old earth passes away and there's a new one and there's a new Jerusalem in it. Well, that's the one I intend to go to. I'm not really interested in this one. That's too much air travel for me. But she went several times and she brought me this mug back. And she also brought me back a little plaque that says Shalom, y'all, which kind of fits, doesn't it? Peace, but y'all for sure. But I drink out of that mug and I'm pretty careful with it. It never goes in the truck with me because, you know, it is kind of irreplaceable. Someday I'm going to break it. I know that just because I know me that well. And you know what? That's going to be okay. But I'm not going to not use it. I'm going to enjoy it because I'm here now. What are you saving this stuff for, right? Use it now. Enjoy it now. That's my attitude. And I'm sitting here looking at my office shelves where I've got coffee cups all over it. And uh, one is from my Yasmin in Switzerland. She sent me several mugs and there's one right there. Another one was hand painted by Bubbly Girl. It says speak life or hush, which is something I'm kind of known for saying around here. And then somebody sent me one as a surprise, you know, as anonymous. It just came in the mail and it was a prescription, you know, take two cups a day and follow up. It's uh, it's great. It's got my name on it and everything. Uh, and I didn't know where it came from. I get weird gifts in the mail sometimes. Weird, weird in that they're unexpected. This one was delightful for sure, but I didn't know who sent it and nobody was claiming it. And finally, one of my friends went, I can't stand it. Did you get my coffee cup? I'm like, ah, Ruth Ann, thank you for the coffee cup. I appreciate it. So I can sit in my office and look at all these cups and, and be amused and entertained and think about you guys. That's not a bad thing at all, is it? All of that to say that today's podcast is brought to you by coffee. <laughs> Drunk from my favorite coffee mug today. I guess most cowboys have stories about coffee. I certainly do. Uh, but uh, they also, every cowboy will have stories about horses. Lots of horse tales going on in the world. I have a bunch of them myself and uh, thought we might start on some of those today. You know, somebody brought up horses this week and they put a picture up on my Facebook page. Uh, of had a picture of a paint horse in it and <laughs> I ask them my standard question, do you know why the Indians rode paint ponies when they went off to war? So they'd be mad enough to fight when they got there. Those can be the most frustrating, short-coupled horses to get along with. And a lot of people love them, and I understand that. They're, and I had one that was uh, delightful and easy to get along with, but, uh, well, at least for me. But uh, I have more trouble with paint horses than any other kind of horse. Now, you, you know what a paint horse is, right? That's a horse that's got two or three different colors on it, uh, maybe red in patches and white in patches, or uh, it can be black and white. A lot of different kinds of uh, paint horses when you get down to uh, the specific names of them. They're all frustrating to me. I can tell you that. Uh, 
But a lot of people have questions about what colors horses come in. And I can I can give you a brief education on that that, that you won't appreciate. But I'll help you with it anyway. Because um, it can be confusing. You know, you may have heard the expression, that's a horse of a different color. Well, that doesn't just come because it can be a unique situation. It, it's just because colors on horses can be very frustrating thing to talk about. So I'll give you an example. Uh, you may have heard of a, of a bay horse, you know, uh, that's a common color. People say, oh, it's a bay mare. Okay, great. You know what color bay is? Brown. Usually with a dark mane and tail. Not always, but bay really is basically brown. Unless it's a blood bay. Or a wild bay, or a black bay, or a sooty bay, or a silver dapple bay. And you know what? They're all bays, and they're all brown, y'all. They're different shades of brown. <laughs> Maybe you might think that one's a little more reddish brown, and that one's a little more blackish brown, and that one's kind of sooty, I don't know, a little dusty looking, and that one's kind of dappled, which means it got little spots here and there. They're all brown, all right? So, <laughs> there you go. There's another kind of color on a horse called sorrel. Uh, which is brown, <laughs> usually has a light mane and, and tail. Uh, and then there's a dun horse, which is a shade of brown, or a palomino, which is a really light shade of brown, or a buckskin, which is a whole nother shade of brown. Maybe I'm just colorblind, but a lot of horses are in the brown family, right? Brown happens to be my favorite color, and buckskins and palominos tend to be light brown. That's a good thing, right? But then you get into black horses and, and white horses and gray horses. And I've got one that's a, a speckled. She's mostly white, but she's speckled with gray. And I don't like the official name for it. She's called a flea bit gray. I don't like that. I think, I don't think Maggie likes it either. <laughs> she's a beautiful horse, but that is what color she is. She's not brown. Uh, and then there's blue roan and red roan. A lot of different kinds of horses, obviously, but an awful lot of them, y'all, are brown. They also are known for eating a lot. Have you ever been told you eat like a horse? I don't know what everybody means by that, but uh, horses are hard to get along with when it's time to eat. You go to start shaking out feed and the meanest horse will run all the other horses off and nobody gets to eat because they're busy chasing each other around. Uh, I had a big horse that was kind of brown and uh, we worked well together. He was big and mean and hard to get along with and I think that's why we were such an even match for each other, but... He was out to pasture, and I just went to check on the cows, and I had stopped, and a friend had given me about a dozen watermelons, and I just had a whole bunch of watermelons in the bed of my pickup truck, and I drive out there, and the horses are all up in the shade, and my big horse comes walking out in the sun, which on a hot day is friendly, right? If you'll come out of the shade to say hi, then you, you know, you love me, right? Obviously, that's what that's about. So I ease over there with my window down and I put my hand out the window and I scratch his nose and he sticks his head in the truck and blows snot on me because, you know, nothing says love like snot on your shirt, right? And drools down the front of my shirt because that's just how horses show affection as far as I can tell. But then he pulled his head out and the other horses were wandering up by then and I'm looking at them. You check their legs and you look at their eyes and you see how bad the flies are and if you need to do anything... Well, he sticks his head in the bed of the pickup truck, and by the time I yell, hey, hey, don't do that, and get out, he has picked up seven watermelons one at a time by biting them, 
and dropping them on the ground. So there are seven busted watermelons on the ground. And he's just grinning because he knows I'm going to leave them there and he's going to get to eat a lot of watermelon. So when you tell me somebody eats like a horse, that's what I picture them doing. <laughs> I grew up hearing things like, you don't have much horse sense, or that man doesn't have a lot of horse sense or whatever. And I always wondered what that meant. Uh, and I finally read somewhere that horse sense is what keeps horses from betting on people. And that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good, they don't. Horses never bet on people, do they? I'll tell you, horses also uh, know where to go in a storm. If you're out in a storm with a horse, let it go where it wants to go and you'll end up in the best place to be. You may not be happy being there, but it'll be the best place to be. My big horse and I got caught out in a hailstorm one time and I just leaned over the saddle with my head down and covered with my hat and let him go, and he walked up into some trees and shoved us both up under a black locust thorn tree, which is like a tree covered with concrete nails. These things hurt. They stick into And I, you know, I wanted to stop him, but then I realized I wasn't getting battered with frozen ice dropping out of the heavens anymore. I was pretty happy about that. That's horse sense right there. Knowing that a few, uh, a few thorns poking into you is a lot better than getting brained by a hailstone. Tell you the average horse uh, has enough sense to avoid the vet too. Have you ever have you ever tried to get a horse in a trailer when it knew you were going to the vet? Well, maybe you haven't, but it uh, it can be a challenge if they know it's time to go to the vet. And I don't know how they know. I think they read my calendar or something, look in my tally book, maybe check online and see what the day is. <laughs> Horses always seem to know. They know when you're going to go do something fun that they want to do. And they know when you're going to take them to the vet, which is something they profoundly do not want to do. Probably any more than we want to go to the doctor, they don't want to go to the doctor. Now, back on the ranch that I told you about in episode 10, my next door neighbor was the vet. So I could fool my big horse by saddling up and riding him to the vet. He didn't mind that. It's just if you go in a trailer, you know you're going to get a shot or you're going to get an exam or something. Some indignity is going to be foisted upon you. But if I rode him up there with his saddle on and the dog with me, he wasn't usually very worried about it. Well, I rode up there a lot because they always had coffee. I think I've told you I like coffee and they had free coffee there. And so, uh, you know, I'll work for free coffee. Anytime I came up there and was drinking coffee, if they had something they needed help with, they'd say, well, hats here. Why don't you help us? OK, that's fine. Well, on this particular day, uh, the, the head vet, his name was Happy and his son was named Frank. Well, Happy decided that all of their horses needed to be wormed. Now, out behind their place was a pasture, but the problem was that it was mostly a ravine with a fence around it. And so it wasn't the kind of thing where you just opened the gate and whistled and horses came running because the horses didn't want to get wormed. They just don't ever want what's good for them, right? And so uh, you had to have help to get them out of there. One man could not get anything out of that ravine pasture. You needed somebody to work the gate so that once you pushed them up out of the pasture, you could get them out and somebody closed the gate behind them so they don't turn around and run right back out into the pasture. But you couldn't by yourself work two sides of the ravine, right? And the horses would just peel off and go down the hill or up the other hill and there wasn't anything you could do. So you had to have help. So while I'm up there drinking all their free coffee, Happy goes, why don't you... Uh, Take your horse and you and Frank go gather up all those horses that are out in the ravine pasture and bring them up here so we can worm them. Well, all right, that sounds fair and sounds kind of fun. I always like working with Frank on horseback because he's good, y'all. 
it's fun to watch a, a really, really sure enough, 100% good cowboy at work. And so we go out there and I leave the dog at the clinic with happy because, you know, horses are dangerous and they don't like dogs typically anyway. And uh, my dog was a big dog and he liked to get in close and bite their feet. Well, you don't want to bite a horse's foot. Bad things will happen to you, right? And it stirs them up and there's no real reason for that. So I left him up there with happy, told him to stay. And he wasn't... uh Happy to do it, but he did stay there with Happy. And so Frank and I ease around the back and we just walk to the end of the pasture. And then we kind of, you know, you're just trying to herd the horses up and you don't want anybody stirred up. And wouldn't it be nice if all of you horses would just gently walk up the hill and go through the gate? Wouldn't that be lovely? It doesn't happen that way. But you always start out with that ideal. You start out with the thought that we're going to take it easy. We don't want to stress anybody out. Nobody needs to get scratched up running through trees. Nobody needs to be in a rush. It's all going to be okay. Well, you always start there, but it never works. So we go through and we collect some, not many. You know, there's maybe 25 horses down there and, and we picked up maybe eight the first time. But you have to push them all the way to the gate and happy open the gate and you had to chase them all the way through. And these kind of walked, but we were right behind them walking and they went in and happy closed the gate. Now, we knew there were 25 and we knew only eight had come up, but happy just felt the need that he had to say, boys, your count's off. Yeah, we we kind of knew that. right? So we turn around and we go back to the far end of this pasture and we start looking for horses again. And now they're wise to us, right? Now the friendly ones are gone. You've you've decreased the friendly population by the eight friendly horses. And the rest of them are hard to get along with. And they are not coming out. And so now you're moving a little faster, right? You're having to charge down one side, up the other side. And you're hyawing a little bit. And you're trying to herd the, all of them together. Because once one of them splits off, all of its friends want to go with it. Nobody wants to go to the gate after that. So we push them and push them hard and we're pretty much running at this point and they're running and we get a few more out and they run through the gate and happy closes it and says, boys, your count's still off. Yeah, we kind of know we saw a bunch of them turn back. We, we know we didn't get them all right. So we go back again and, and we manage to get two more and there's still plenty more down there and it's getting frustrating. So I whistle up the dog because now I don't care right now. We just, now it's not fun anymore. Now it's turned into work. And so I call the dog and between me and Frank and the dog, we two and three at a time push him out of this ravine and up to the gate to go through. And every time we brought horses up, yep, you know it, Happy said, boys, you count still off. And so we're getting a little annoyed at hearing that because it's kind of obvious, right? We can see, we know all the horses are down there, but he's at the gate counting. That's his job. So we go back out into the pasture one last time, and by this time, we're not taking any prisoners. We've got ropes out, and I've got dogs sickened, and we're just yelling and hollering and chasing, and we get the last of the horses, and we run them hard all the way to the gate. And if Happy doesn't get out of the way, I guess they'll just run him over, but we are not letting them go back. And we do. We run wide open dog barking all the way to the gate, and they go through, and Happy closes the gate, and he looks at them, and he turns around, he looks at us, and he says, boys... You count still off. And we just couldn't believe it. How can the how can the count still be off? We've been chousing horses down here for most of an hour. That may be a new word for you. Let me think about that for a minute. Chouse. So what we went out there to do was to herd horses. And that's kind of a gentle movement. 
you know, a herd, if a herding operation is you're just moving a group of livestock from one place to the other. When I called the dog, we went from herding to chousing. And that's much more along the lines of irritating and annoying and uh, upsetting and stirring them up. That's what we were doing. We were stirring them up to get them out of there. We were chousing them out of there. And here's Happy saying, you count still off. But we've been through this pasture. We know there's nothing else out there. And we're like, how can the, how can you say that? How can our count still be off? And he looked at us and he grinned and he said, well, we got 27 horses butts, but only 25 horses. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure free coffee is worth that level of abuse, y'all. <laughs> but I really did drink an awful lot of their coffee, and sometimes uh, Miss Susie would bring yeast rolls. So, you know, you put up with a lot of uh, you put up with a lot of grief from people like that. But I'd say he knew us pretty well. But we did get all the horses up that day. That's a good thing. That was a busy day for sure. It's been a busy week here at the Hat Stand. Springtime's like that. Uh, we've got a lot of grass growing and I had some sort of new weed pop up in my yard that was like walking on fire ants. It was really had a lot of little stickers and stuff and it's called bindi weed or something B I N D I. Not that you care. None of all this is free, right? Um <laughs> So anyway, I treated the treated that weed and then uh there's been I got my garden in. We've been producing, been eating tomatoes, having to fight one of my grandchildren for the tomatoes because they'll eat them as fast as I will. And uh, flowers too. Peppers are growing. I got flowers coming up. I don't have a lot of experience with flowers. That's just, I've always been about half truck farmer, right? Uh, half acre of peas. That's a good garden start, right? Well, this year I've got, uh, I've got an herb garden that we've been getting a lot of stuff out of growing real well. And I've got uh, flower beds. Never really just set out to grow flowers before, but I I've got one that's uh, along a fence line and a lot of vines, and there's a purple passion vine, y'all. That may be my favorite flower. It is the most architecturally complicated flower I've ever grown. Just beautiful. If, look it up. It's just a great, beautiful flower. I'm told it comes in other colors, but mine are purple for the most part. I've got another flower bed that's just kind of a mix of things that I'm hoping I can cut and bring in the house for my bride because she likes having fresh flowers in the house. And so we're going to do some of that. And then at the back of the property where my house sits is a big tree line. And right up against the tree line, I planted uh, sunflowers. I planted three different colors of sunflowers. And one of them is the big yellow one that you're accustomed to. And it gets about six feet tall. And one of them is kind of a reddish orange one. Uh, and it gets about five feet tall. And then there's one that's a little shorter that the package said was a Mexican sunflower. That It's just a burst of color in the red and orange and yellow families. It's all in there. And I planted some daisies and some cosmos and some morning glories. And all this is from seed. And I'm hoping it'll all come up at the same time. And we'll just have a wall about, I don't know, 50 feet long of nothing but flowers. Won't that be pretty? But right now it's just... Uh, it's just in the early stages. You can see the sunflower plants from, a you know, 100 yards away now. They're tall enough off the ground that you can see them. I still walk by and go, I'm not sure cosmos and daisies are growing here. The morning glories are in the back, and I'm hoping they'll twine up the trees because that'd be beautiful, wouldn't it? If they were 20 feet tall and you had purple morning glories, that'd be fantastic. But right now it's just uh, the seeds have sprouted, most of them. Some of them, I'm not sure if they're there or not, frankly, but I haven't been able to weed the garden because I don't want to pull up the flowers. And so it's a, it's a race with the sunflowers against the grass. I'll keep you posted. 
but I think they're going to make. I think we're going to I think we're going to have more flowers around this place than we've ever had. And for springtime, you know what that means? It means the best is yet to come. You're planting seeds today. You're doing things today. You're taking care of business. You're going to work. You're going to school. You're taking care of your family. You're taking care of yourself. I'm glad you're doing that because I really do believe that the best is yet to come. This is Old Hat signing off for Episode 11 of the Old Hat Podcast.